Welcome to the Testimony Service Podcast, the podcast that will encourage you, increase your faith, and draw you closer to God. I'm your host, Martina. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So in an effort to help our listeners' faith increase, each episode will begin with the scripture. Today's scripture comes from Psalm 25, verse 4 through 7. Lord, show me your ways. Teach me how to follow you. Guide me in your truth. Teach me. You are God, my Savior. I put my hope in you all day long. Lord, remember your great mercy and love. You have shown them to your people for a long time. Don't remember the sins I committed when I was young. Don't remember how often I refused to obey you. Remember me because you love me. Lord, you are good. And now, for episode 34, why don't they want me? Hello, my name is Will Hollins. So let me begin with the beginning and work my way forward. I, I grew up in a weird situation because there was a point where my mother was working. She was going to school. She was doing a whole bunch of other stuff. She was trying to become a nurse. When I was born, it was more of an inconvenience for her. It wasn't that she didn't love me, but it was just that she really couldn't dedicate herself to raising me like she thought she should. And so there was a point where one of my aunts had kind of been looking. She had never had a child. It wasn't really an adoption. There was never like an illegal, uh, like a legal adoption situation. It was just a here you go type thing. It was kind of a handoff. So I lived with my aunt for like the first nine years of my life. And I grew up listening to a bunch of old church sermons. Yeah, I remember one of my teachers telling me when I was in like second grade, uh, I had a kid call me stupid one time in the playground and I came in crying, just upset. And my teacher was like, you're not stupid, William. You come to me every Monday morning quoting sermons to me. Like you'll quote whole entire sermons. I started watching the show just to see if you can do it the next week. You know, you're not stupid. You know, they may feel like you are, but that doesn't mean that your truth. Your truth is based on what you choose to do, not based on what other people tell you. And so I started really kind of going down this pathway. And I mean, because I moved around a lot because as my aunt got older, she got sicker. And then it was like I was staying with a sick aunt and a sick uncle. When I was eight years old, I was shooting insulin into my aunt and uncle every day. So that's tough to have to grow up in that environment and still be able to enjoy the days the kid enjoy. But I tried to find my ways. But what really changed was when I was 12 years old, my aunt passed away. My uncle passed away. And so the next thing I know, you know, I'm with another aunt in Memphis. And the next thing I know, my mom and dad both showed up, which my mom and dad never had been married. My dad went off to the military when I was born, shortly after I was born. It's just like, what are y'all coming together for? What's going on? And they're just like, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. You just need to come home with me. So of course, then I'm immediately uprooted like that day. That wasn't a, a week where I was being advised, hey, I'm, you're going to come home. It was more like, we came to pick you up. <laughs> so I ended up, you know, living under my mother's roof. Well, of course, when I started living on my mother's roof. She was like, well, if you live under my roof, you're going to go to church. And so, of course, you know, when you're 12, you really don't have a choice in the matter. You just kind of show up because she's driving the car. <laughs> she's not going to let me stay in the bed. So I would go to church and I had a bunch of questions. And, you know, I had questions like, you know, people are telling me don't trust white people, but yet you got these pictures of white Jesus in front of me. You know, how am I supposed to trust him? You know, every message seemed to be the same message. 
over the course of several weeks, you know, it'd be like, you know, and then he hung up and died and then he laid back down and he did these things and he did, and, you know, and all that. But I had questions that nobody answered. Like all I compared was stuff like, you'll understand it more in the by and by, you'll understand it more as time goes on, just keep living and you'll understand it. Of course, that's never been the way I understood anything, you know, because I've always been that kid that asked a thousand questions. It's just when you thought that I ran out of questions, here comes the question 1001. So as time went on, I kind of got to the place where I stopped asking questions because no one would answer them for me. I might go home and my mom would just be like, well, you know, at some point we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. That never really happened either. I got older, got older, got taught a lot of things that a very counter scripture. I was reinforced the idea, you know, hey, white people, some white people can be good, but for the most part, don't trust white people. I keep coming back to that because it's so much a part of the testimony of how I first came to know who Jesus was because it all started in college. There was a group called the Baptist Student Ministries that was there and you know, they would have lunches and they would have dinners and they would have different things and I would go over there just to hang out because it was like a cool place to hang out. Being born African-American, based on the way I spoke to people and based on the way I conducted myself, a lot of people disregarded me. They would say, well, you're not black enough for us or you're too black for us. And so I didn't fit in with a whole lot of people. So I was the guy that would sit in corners and draw and I would sit in corners and write and do all these different things. Well, then, as I would be at the BSU building, I would go over there and hang out and watch TV and stuff in between classes. And this one day, this guy came up that I knew from high school, you know, and he was just like, hey, man, what you doing tonight? I was just like, tonight, you know, I'll go home and study. Wow, what you got? He's like, well, my church does a thing where we get together to play basketball. We have dinner, you know, and I'm kind of like, you know, I'm a college kid, so dinner. You know, it doesn't take much to entice me for dinner, but then also it's the fact that basketball uh it's like okay i could play a little basketball i could hoop a little bit i'm not that great at it you know i'm not shaquille o'neal but i can i can enjoy myself and so i went out and started going out to these what i found out were bible studies you know we'd sit down and eat and have a little bible study and then we'd get to play it and you know play basketball or whatever sometimes we play volleyball whatever really wasn't a part of a youth group even when i was at church like most of the kids my age just kind of did their thing we never really hung out together as a group of people. So there wasn't that community of the church that I really felt like I needed. But at this church I was in, it was a, a primarily white church, you know, primarily Anglo church, if you will. And they would talk to me and different things like that. And so one day, you know, the pastor was talking about the importance of understanding that you can't do anything to earn God's favor. And he said, you can get the biggest ladder and you can try to climb it and you'll never reach God that way. You can try to do all the good works you want to do, but you'll never reach God that way because God is perfect. And so in my mind, I'm going, well, great. Okay, well, then what's the point of all this other stuff? If, if God is perfect, I can't achieve it. There's nothing I can do to earn his love. Why am I here? <laughs> and I didn't realize I said part of that out loud. And he just looked at me. He said, well, the reason you're here is because God's already reached out his hand to you. He already has a plan to embrace you. When man sinned in the garden, it messed up some stuff with us. And we needed a right relationship with God. So what happened was Jesus was willing to come down and say, you know what? I got it. I'll pay the debt that they can't pay. 
I'll bleed the blood that they would bleed. I'll go through the sacrifice that they need for them. And I'm like, wait, what? He he did that for me? Like this this white dude I've been seeing on on posters and calendars and and fans and all this other stuff. And then of course he sat me down and kind of talked to me about the whole fact that there was a Jewish context that Jesus was a Jew. He was a rabbi. There were different things like that. So I, just things. I again, I was starting to get some questions answered. And I mean, I searched for a lot of time. I mean, I searched for everything from transcendental meditation into the nation of Islam. I was about two weeks out from becoming a member of the nation of Islam. And every time there was supposed to be some big meeting, it got canceled. Or I would have to work. Or something would come up at the last minute so I couldn't go. And I feel like that was God's provision for me saying, I, I have something for you. If you go down that path, it's not that I'm unable to get your attention, but you will have fed into something that's in you that you won't hear me anymore. I didn't own a Bible at the time. So I remember the pastor coming over to my house one day, knocking on the door, and I answered the door. I'm like, well, hey. It wasn't like he was going to tell me before he was coming. Well, he came and was like, hey, I got a Bible for you. He said, what are you doing right now? You want to go grab a bite to eat? We'll, go t- we'll just talk. And I was like, okay. So we sat down and started talking. He said, what questions do you have? I was like, well, I got a ton. How much time you got? He said, well, tell me what your questions are. So I started sharing questions. And he started giving me biblically-based answers to my questions. And I was just sitting there going like, wow, okay, so this is in there. So this is in there. So he would start pointing out the scripture and stuff like that. And over time, he would just show me things. And so eventually, I looked at him. I said, okay, so what do I have to do to come to faith? He said, well, you just, you know, you want to pray to ask the Lord into your heart. You want to pray, you want to yield your life to him and tell him, you know, that you realize you've messed up. You realize you're not perfect. You realize you've sinned. They took me through the Romans road, you know, of all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. That if anyone calls on the name of Jesus, you shall be saved. These things, he went through all those with me. And then I was just like, okay, but I'm not ready to do that yet. He's like, okay. Well, when you're ready to do, let me know. It's like, okay. And so I've been going through some really rough stuff. And about three weeks later, I called him up. I was like, hey, yeah, I prayed to receive Jesus today. It was on a Saturday. I was off work. And I was just, I was, I faced that brick wall that was that finality in my life when I realized that I can't continue to do this because I'm going to screw it up horribly if I do. Lord, if you've got something better for my life, here it is. Take it. You do with it what you will. Let me follow you. And so that's sort of a chain of events of interesting things. We went through a period where with me going to an Anglo church, it was fine for me going out there and coming out there to Sunday services until I wanted to join the church. The minute that I wanted to join the church, people had a problem with it. People started going to the pastor saying, hey, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, man. We've been here 100 years and something like this has never happened. He's like, something like what? Somebody getting saved? What are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, we just don't have black members. Well, why not? If Jesus died for all colors, if Jesus died for all people's sins, what leaves him out? Why does he get to get excluded? Well, I mean, he doesn't get excluded from God, but we just don't know that we want him here. <laughs> and so it's got really weird because here I am, this new Christian coming into faith and then running into this rampant type of racism that's just like and then of course it kind of became that Fresh Prince of Bel-Air Uncle Phil moment why don't they want me man you know I thought these were my brothers and sisters in Christ why don't they want me what did I do 
to deserve this other than, oh, wait, I was just born a different color than them. And so he left. That pastor left and some other people left. And so we started doing a local small group every Sunday. And for a while, that worked out. And then things happened. People moved. Uh, we had a couple of people pass away. And so then I ended up moving. And so I moved into town. And so I was you know, living in town. And I found a couple of other churches. And, but it was always the same thing. I, I never knew if I was really accepted. Because again, most of the churches I was going to at this point were white churches because the black churches I'd grown up around, I wasn't really accepted there either. And so it wasn't until I went on a mission trip about a year or two later uh, with the college that I was at, and I met a group of people from Campbellsville University, and we were just doing mission work, but it was just something different about that group of people because it was like they really embraced me as a person. And so I was like, okay, well, let me find out. And God opened doors, and I ended up going to Campbellsville University. So now I moved to Central Kentucky from Tennessee. And so time goes on. I start doing more mission work stuff every summer, different things like that. I eventually moved to Texas. Years go by, and I'm at a weird place because now I'm this wounded believer that while I was still reading my word, I was still trying to get under a word, to hear the word, because I understand that faith goes by hearing and hearing from hearing by the word of God and hearing about it about a man or God or woman of God that's over my life because I understand that they're the ones that God calls to give me wisdom and understanding. So I'm still trying to commit to that, but I still feel broken. I still feel like it's like, Lord, if I'm supposed to be saved to do good works, I'm not saved by my works, but I'm saved to do good works. How am I supposed to do that if I don't feel like I'm a part of this really? And so time went on, and one day I was working at Walmart. I'd stopped going to church altogether for a little while. And then uh, a man by the name of Andrew Taylor came in, him and his wife. I worked at the bakery at Walmart at the time, and they came up. I was like, hey, I'm making a cake for somebody. Can you help me out? He's like, yeah, what do you need? You know. So we got to talking. He asked me, he said, so, hey, son, where do you go to church? I said, so right now I don't go to church anywhere. He's like, okay, why not? And that was the first time somebody really seemed to care about why I didn't go to church. <laughs> and so that threw me off. And I was just like, well, I've been hurt by a lot of churches and I just don't really know how I feel about the church. Like, I love the Lord. I still try to get in the word and I'll listen to messages on Sunday mornings and things like that. But I just don't know that I could come back to the church as a corporate body. He said, I tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. He says, I will come to your house Sunday and pick you up. We'll go to church and then I'll take you out for lunch and then we can sit down and talk about it if you're off. I was like, well, yeah, I'm off Sundays. He's like, okay. So he picked me up, took me out there. You know, it was really different. Like it was a mix of people for one. It was it was not just black people in this church. It was Hispanic people, white people, living everybody. And so that was my first thing. I was kind of like, okay, this is different. This is not something I've really experienced. That's gone well because I had experience going into multicultural churches, but stuff tended to go really weird really quick to the point where I was just like, okay, I'm either going to get up and leave or Lord, I'm just praying for you to teleport me out of here like I'm on Star Trek and teleport me home because this is getting off the walls. And so we sat down afterwards and he just started talking to me and just asking me questions about, he, he didn't answer as many questions as he asked me a bunch of questions about me. And so him and his wife both were there and they really seemed to care and they gravitated towards me, but then I really started gravitating towards them. And the weirdest part about it was I had a pastor I was speaking to 
that spoke like I did, but looked like I did. He wasn't ostracizing me for being a black man who has a vocabulary, uh, which is something a lot of people tend to kind of throw out. The compliment that some people give will say, well, you're so articulate. Well, why wouldn't I be? What prevents me from being articulate? The same thing that made me articulate, the same thing anybody has access to. I mean, between my mother feeding me word powers and saying, hey, when you read these words that you don't know what they mean, I want you to look them up. And I want you to tell me what they mean so that you're learning. I know you're learning new words. Well, as time went on, you know, we got to talking. And of course, I started coming to the church on a more regular basis. But I wasn't always committed at first. Like, I was kind of walking in waiting to be hurt. Because I was still wounded. So I felt like it was just like I'm walking in and I'm kind of auditing everything. Who's not going to talk to me? Who's going to do this? or Who's going to do that? But God really worked a miracle in that one day I walked in and I wasn't asking those questions. Because it wasn't that I just felt like I was loved, but I was felt like more importantly that the shift focused off of me and what I needed from a church and it focused more into what I could be a part of in this church. Because for a long time, I always understood it as, well, I'm going to church to get something out of it. And the most important thing I can get from a church service is the word. Because I understand even when the enemy comes and attacks, he always comes and attacks for the word's sake. He's not attacking me because it's personal. He's attacking because the word that's in me has the ability to grow out of me. And if it grows out of me, it has a process to manifest whatever that seed will grow. And it always produces faith. So if the enemy can come wreck our faith, then it's a lot easier for us to slip back out of things because it's like, okay, I went through this, 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 this. Where was my faith at? Oh, it's in that word that I got that I wasn't paying attention to. But the biggest part of the testimony for me is that at some point, you know, Pastor Taylor's wife came up to me and she was just like, I see you've been coming pretty regularly and I see you've been here. Yeah, do you feel like you're getting answers to questions that you haven't ever asked? I said, I do. Do you feel embraced and appreciated here? I said, yeah. What are you waiting on? Like you you can't continue to wait until somebody hurts you. You've got to jump in and realize we're all flawed people. At some point you're gonna get offended because the word's gonna offend your flesh at some point. You're not gonna be able to always walk around without offense. That's not reality. But we are your brothers and sisters in faith, and we want to help you be the best you you can be for the kingdom of God. So when are you willing to jump in? And so I jumped in. Fast forward a bit. And there was a period where I was still connected, but I'd moved out of Texas into Kentucky again. And so recently, I went through a really bad bout where I lost about 80 grams of blood in about a 12-hour period. And the doctor came in, and the doctor's yelling at me for 15 minutes while I've been hopped up on medicine for like two or three days. She said, I don't understand why we're having this conversation. You've lost all this blood. Your, your blood pressure is skyrocketing. How is that even possible? And I'm like, I can only say it's a miracle. But, of course, I'm also hopped up on medicine, so I'm not 100% sure what I'm saying right now. But I know God is doing what God does. And that's the most important thing. And so I went through that experience. I had to make a lot of changes in my eating and in my diet and in my sleep patterns and all that stuff just because I just needed to get better healthy-wise, just to live better. And then as time went on, 
you know, my pastor reached out to me. He was like, hey, man, you know, we would connect periodically because, of course, he's in North Carolina. I'm in Kentucky. And so there's a lot of stuff where we're just, you know, kind of connecting. And then one day he was just like, hey, would you like to become a remote partner? I know you're not here physically, but would you like to become a remote partner with us here in North Carolina? So I was like, yeah, I would. He's like, okay, because we need you. You're still part of this family. Even though we've moved away, you're still part of this. You're not going to get rid of us that easy. And so I've been interconnected with them since. And recently, as within the last few weeks, we've been going through different, you know, the doctrine. We've been going through a lot of our stuff with our strategic vision and values because he wants us as people to understand that we are part to play in making the kingdom of God known to people. And, you know, we understand that in scripture, it says, and when this kingdom, when, when this gospel is preached, that Christ will come back. And it's interesting because I always wondered for the longest time, well, why does it say when this gospel is preached? And one of the things he shared with us was is that there are a lot of gospels out there that are being preached that aren't the biblical gospel. You know, when you look at colonization and you look at the different things that happened in church history and how Constantine decided that he was going to create a situation to where to be Roman is to be Christian and to be Christian is to be Roman citizen. The Jewishness of scripture was kicked out. There was a whole lot of things that happened in history that changed the way the gospel message went out. The gospel in America today is a lot more about convenience. You know, we don't want to bother you. We don't want to make you feel bad. We just want you to come to church and enjoy yourself. But the gospel of scripture says, hi, my name is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to convict you. Hi, my name is the word of God, and I'm, going to, I'm here to change you. You're supposed to be wanting to be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. You know, how do we renew our mind by the word, which is supposed to be washing us over? The, we're supposed to continually be washed over the word. We're continually supposed to kill the flesh daily so that we can walk our faith out. These are things that I've learned and continue to learn and continue to grow in on a weekly basis. And I'm really thankful to God for continuing to show me that he loves me enough to give me a family of spiritual people that says, we know Will's jacked up sometimes. We know he's not always the best. We know he's not always at 100%, but you know what? We're not at 100% either, and we're all trying to do what we can to walk this thing out because we know we need each other to do that. So that is my long and short of my testimony. That's awesome, Will. But yeah, I love your testimony. It's definitely different than a lot of the other ones I've heard, so I love it. I really think this is going to bless a lot of people. So I guess the first question I have is you talked a lot about like not trusting white people. Like, where did that come from? Was that something that you learned from your aunt or your mother or? I, you know, it's funny. People ask me that and I tell them it's twofold. The first part is there's experiences that I had growing up. I remember when I was walking home in Memphis one day, walking home from school and this guy hopped up on something. Don't know what it was. <laughs> Comes jumping out. He's like, you ever been shot before? Pulls the gun out. Straight to the face. I'm looking down the barrel of a gun, literally. And again, God provided. Didn't really know who he was yet, but he provided because the next thing I know, like cops just showed up. I didn't fear the cops at that moment. I feared the guy that had a gun in my face. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, I would be in situations, especially in my hometown, where 
for example, cops will pull my dad over. My dad and I will be riding into work, and my cops will pull him over multiple times. And it would just be like, well, sir, you got a tail light out. And it's like, that's funny, because the last guy to pull me over said I had a tail light out. Mm-hmm. I went back there and walked back there and had him show me. It wasn't out. Why am I constantly being pulled over on the same stretch of road every so many days? Right. And then one time he asked them that, and they were like, oh, well, you fit a descri- your vehicle fit a description for a robbery down the road. Really? Like, <laughs> it, obviously, when you pull me over, you realize I'm not that person. Yeah. But then things went on. Like, I was in high school. There was a lot of racial stuff that went on in high school. I remember trying to start a Black History Club. And I was told by the entire school board, who, by the way, funny enough, the night integration occurred, they had an emergency meeting and decided that, and I believe that's still on their books now, they have not had a prom since. Because they didn't want people having mixed races at proms. That's crazy. (laughs) Put it this way, they've had proms, but the students have had to raise the money, find the location, do all the stuff. Mm. And none of the school staff could be involved. Wow. So, you know, it's just that kind of town. I mean, I know I was remember shopping at JCPenney's one day in my hometown, and this lady would keep popping up around myself and my cousins. And it didn't matter where we went. We would split up, and then they would have other people following us individually. And so then my mother, we came back together, and my mother and my aunt wanted to speak to the management. They were like, well, what's going on? You know, it's just like, well, we want to know why you've been following our kids around for the last hour. Mm-hmm. So they've been searching for clothes because it's winter, and I've watched you, 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 and you follow my kids. Right. And so it's just a lot of things that happen from experience, but also, you know, you have moments where my mom might say to me, you guys got to be careful, son, because some folks don't really care about your well-being. And it was very much always pointed at that. I mean, even to the point where we're at church sometimes, we'd have revival services, you know, the pastor would get up and say something, he'd be like, well, it's all white neighbors down the road. We thank you for coming to visit us. And I always wonder, like, do they not have names? <laughs> do we not know who they are? Is no one spoken to these people? Like, I would try to go speak to them, and my mom would grab my hand and pull me away. And it was just like, little things like that. It wasn't that everything was overtly being said to me, but it was mm-hmm. a little exchanges, those little moments. I learned a lot of it from that, because then what I was told growing up, I saw reinforced in actions of other people. Mm-hmm. And so then eventually when this guy who didn't look like me sitting there telling me about the gospel of Jesus, for real, for the first time, I couldn't look at him as a white man telling me this because he didn't see me as a black man telling me. Mm. He saw me as a lost person that needed to hear the gospel. Yeah. And that's something that really started breaking that mentality. Dr. Martin Luther King said it best. He said, you should judge everyone by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. It's like, there are going to be people, no matter what race you are, that are going to be, they're going to make choices that don't favor you. Right. But you can't hold a whole race hostage mm-hmm. because of these particular people. Yeah. Or a profession. Right. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about when you were about to join the Nation of Islam. What was it that drew you to that? I was young, black, and angry. Mm. Uh my senior year of high school, the night I graduated high school, I remember coming home and I was getting ready for bed. 
And we were going to go do a big celebration that weekend. It was just going to be Will Celebration Weekend. We were going to go out to the buffet. And I'm a big boy at heart. I call myself a recovering fat kid. <laughs> and so back then, it was just like buffet was like the magic word for me. Like that could be my birthday. I didn't need cake. I, as long as there was a buffet, I, I was good. But my buddy called me from college. Like he was in college already. He had graduated a year or two before me. And like, I got answered the phone like, hello. He said, Will, man, what's going on? I said, I don't know, man. It's like midnight. What's going on with you? He said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what's going on? He says, my mom got remarried to a guy and they're on honeymoon. I was like, okay. He's not black. I was like, okay. I'm still waiting on the punchline. Like, you're calling my house at midnight. What's going on? He said, there's a crossbreeder in my front yard. And of course, right as he's on the phone with me, his mother and her new husband walk in and they see all this. And there was a lot of stuff like that that happened in my hometown that never got dealt with. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember a story my uncle told about how he was walking a white girl out of the club they were in and the chief of police came up to him and said, what are you doing with that white girl, boy? He's like, well, I'm walking her to her car because she's obviously had too much to drink. I just want to make sure she gets her car safe. It'll be all you're doing. Mm-hmm. And just that kind of stuff. So I was very angry. I was very bitter. I was very upset because... Here I was, you know, I'm going to church every Sunday with my mom, even on Super Bowl Sundays and stuff like that, which I hated, hated it. <laughs> so I was like, I want to watch the Super Bowl. And she's like, right. we got Mother's Day program. We got this, we got this, we got this. They're always playing like four programs on the Super Bowl Sunday for some reason. <laughs> just so like nobody can watch Super Bowl, I guess. But so I was just very angry. I was just very bitter. And somebody in high school I was going to high school with was like, they would get together every weekend and they would go to the rallies and stuff. And I mean, they were dressed with the S1W stuff and everything. You had group. There was a small contingent of black guys that I was around. That's what they did every weekend. And so again, I was looking for that embrace. I was looking for that acceptance that I wasn't finding a whole lot of other places. And they were like, man, you're a black man. You can be proud of being a black man. I mean, there was a point where I rocked that high top fade and I had the African medallion with the black power fist in the middle and, Mother Africa, Mother Earth, and all this stuff. And I'm glad I can't go back in time and talk to the younger me because I've just been like, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but it's not going to help you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just feeding into something that you can't keep up with. And then, you know, growing up also, there was a the fact that I was angry and wanted to strike out on my own. My dad, like I said, was in the military, and he wasn't really around a whole lot. The funniest part about that was the first lesson of forgiveness I learned was when... God convicted me on it. It's just like, you got to let him go. You got to release him. A lot of your anger stems from the fact that he's not there. And it's not that he wasn't there trying to be just absentee. He was doing the military thing. He didn't understand what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But you holding on to him feeds the anger that's in you already. So when I came out of that into Christ, one of the first things God convicted me of was forgiveness. And so I had to let him go. But I realized letting him go released a lot of the anger I had in me. Mm. So even though there was stuff that happened in my past, happened around me, happened to me in some cases, I understood it's like if I can forgive this person that really genuinely hurt me because he wasn't there, I can't hold stuff against these other people yeah. either because they're not blood. Like I held stuff against my dad who was blood, flesh and blood to me. Mm-hmm. I really can't hold anything against them either. Right. Okay, so you started going to these weekly Bible studies, like playing basketball and stuff like that, you said. So 
was it the pastor that you were finally talking to who was able to answer questions for you? Yeah. Okay. Did he ever have questions that he couldn't answer? I had questions that he couldn't answer, but his follow-up was really important. I don't know the answer to that right now, Mm -hmm. but I will research it and I will get back to you on it. Next time we see each other, I'll have an answer for you. He was one of the first people to show me consistency because Mm -hmm. he may not have had the answer right then. But like I asked a question about, you know, in Genesis, it was like, why is it they're talking about angels laying with men? Like, like, why is that a thing? And how are these Nephilim showing up? What's that all about? You know, how are angels and humans able to mate? What is, right. you know, so he, like, you better pack a lunch for this because it's going to be a while. <laughs> but he would really get down and work with me on some of this stuff. And I mean, the thing about that is questions like that were just questions I was asking because after I came into the faith, because I was just like, I don't get it. But that's the thing about it. I've learned since then to really focus on trying to get the, okay, what am I really supposed to learn out of this beyond just the stories? I don't ever want to get to a point where I have paralysis of analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, I just get stuck in trying to get the information and then not try to look into what God was doing in those situations. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so when you started going to the church with Pastor Taylor, uh-huh. um, you talked about how you were pretty consistent, but you didn't want to join because you were still kind of like waiting to be hurt or like offended. So how do you handle offense now? The important thing I have to understand now, scripture talks about the fact that we have to renew our minds daily with the word. And so I understand if my brother or my sister is having a bad moment that I could get offended by it. But you know what? What the scriptures tell me, if you have a problem with your brother or you have a problem with your sister, you go and speak to them. You try to resolve that issue. If that doesn't work, then, you know, you go to somebody who, and this is the careful part. You go to somebody who doesn't already know the situation. You don't get to go to somebody and be like, here's my side of it. Now get on my side and let's talk Mm -hmm. to her or him. It's somebody that's objective that listens to both sides. And then they say, okay, here's this. If this doesn't work, then you go to your pastor. You say, this is the situation. We talked to this person and you track it. Normally, it never goes that far because normally with me, I'm like, okay, any relationship, there's compromise on both sides. It's like I have to look at myself and say, okay, Lord, what did I do? Or how did I react? How did I respond? That could have been better done to help not only encourage my brother and sister in that moment, but also was that a flesh moment for me? Did they say something and then it just triggered something that I didn't know was there? Something I thought was dead at the cross. Yeah. And so then I reacted out of that instead of like, you know, reacting out of love, reacting out of kindness, reacting out of, you know, sharing the fruit of the spirit, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, and all that encompasses. Maybe I need to come back and be like, you know what? Hey, I was having a flesh moment. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have came back at you like that. You didn't know I was having a bad day, but it doesn't make me an excuse to, to hit you with that. So I always have to look at myself first to see where I am. Because I hear people always say, well, you know, oh, if somebody offends you, you know, you got to wait till they apologize. Well, they may not have even known they offended you. Mm -hmm. If they don't know they offended you, them apologize is probably not going to happen. And that's just an opportunity for the enemy to get a foothold. Because then he comes in and says, oh, you see what happened there? She said that said that to you. And then she just walked away. (laughs) She thinks she's big bad. You know, she got to get out of my way. Move. 
you know, he's not gonna tell you that she got a call about her kid and she had to get out of the church because she had to go she had to go deal with a situation her kid's sick. He's not gonna tell you that part. Satan will always paint a picture, but it's never a complete picture. Yep. Because <laughs> he wants you to focus on the incomplete part. He doesn't want to focus on the other part. Satan is the worst manador. Mm-hmm. But he's also really good at being a manador because if he can get you distracted off of him. That's why one of the, my favorite verses is this in Ephesians. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of dark forces in heavenly places. So many times the enemy will try to get us to focus on people. Mm-hmm. And so I have to remind myself when dealing with offense, especially, I have to remind myself that I got to pray about the spirit behind why I'm offended. Not lash out at the person who offended me. Because a lot of times it's enemy influence, whether it's in me or it's in them. So a lot of times I feel like it's focusing on the word, first course correcting me and my heart and my mind and making sure I'm not letting fugitives out of my mind because if I let it out of my mind, it's going to come out of my mouth. Then then people will be like, oh, well, it's in your heart. And so I got to make sure to take every thought captive. It's an intentional process. And that's the other thing too, with offense, I have a choice to be offended. Somebody told me one day, they were like, oh, you're fat. Okay. They're like, what, you're not mad about that? Why would I be mad about that? That's true. <laughs> Why would I be upset? Like you just now, if you tell me I'm a slob and I ain't gonna get nowhere in life, that's a different thing because that's an opinion. Because mm-hmm. you don't know where my life's going. Right. You know, sometimes I don't even know where it's going. I'm just trying, I'm just along for the ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so when I think about offense, really the biggest answer is I have to remember that I don't deal with flesh and blood, but against fits powers of dark forces. Places. I have to pray those things down. If there's a situation where something like that offends me, I got to find a strong man and then I got to pray those things down. I ain't got time to come at people. I got to deal with an enemy who's very influential. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't need to eat. He doesn't get hungry. He doesn't get thirsty. He seeks who he can devour like a roaring lion at all times. Yep. <laughs> Even when I'm sleeping, he ain't. So. Yeah, man, that's a whole word. Man, that is awesome. I love it. I'm feeling convicted. (laughs) I'm definitely going to re-listen to this several times, but I really appreciate you taking the time out to be on here. So just to wrap up, is there any final words or anything that you want to leave the listeners with? Always seek to find ways to encourage those around you. Be somebody that lifts others up. The word of God is vital to your survival. Vital to it. We cannot live without the word, truly, if you're a believer. There's no conviction without the word. There's no transformation without the word. And it's continual. Somebody said one day, well, I don't understand why it takes all that. It doesn't take all that if you get the spiritual disciplines in. Think about breathing. It doesn't feel like it's that complex of a situation, but it really is. Because the body has to do a whole lot to convert and do the oxygen and all this other stuff. My pastor was just telling us today, 21% of the total air is oxygen. Yet we take that 21% and we're constantly living out of it until God says we're done. The word of God is vital and we need it. You know, the word tells us that we're one of the first signs of a newborn babe is that they have a sincere need for the word. I pray that when you get that sincere desire for the word, you never lose it. Mm. Because I believe the word is vital. It It is crucial to what you will become in the kingdom of God. You know, find somebody that will take you from the church house to the kingdom because the church ushers us into the kingdom of God. And please, please, 
Find somebody. So many times people, when it comes to their man or woman of God, they'll say, well, they put their pants on just like I do. Yeah, they do. But God called them to feed you with knowledge and understanding. He didn't call them to feed somebody else to that. He called them to feed you. Mm-hmm. Always hold your man or woman of God up with high revere because God gave them to you for a purpose. Don't disregard that purpose because that connection that you need with the knowledge and the understanding you're getting from them, the fact that they're shepherds, they're watchmen that watch over your soul. Don't make their job hard for them. Always do what you can to bless your man and woman of God at every path you get, even if it's just getting a cup of water for them. Because they may be a man or woman just like you, but they're God's man or woman over you. Mm-hmm. So always hold them in high esteem. And above all else, be blessed to be a blessing to somebody. Count the blessings that you have. Appreciate that you've been blessed, but also find ways to bless other people with your life. We only get this shot once and then we're done. What legacy are you leaving behind? Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. We will be back next Wednesday. But in the meantime, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Testimony Service Pod. And as always, here is a sneak peek of next week's episode. And I visited a person who does psychic development classes. I went in there and it was like taking off like a rocket ship. Drew up the business cards and started a business. And I became a professional psychic medium.